so what I'm doing now with my project is basically the same thing. It's like my inner child process put into a piece of artwork in a way that I am hoping it outreaches to others that either have done the same kind of work or I'm hoping that it will kind of ping some people, you know, in the heart when they see it and go, oh, like I, I want that. Hello, and welcome to the Searcher Studio podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking with Brittany Ann Dangerfield. Brittany is a mother of two, a child abuse survivor, trauma advocate, sepsis survivor, and artist. Her story is one of perseverance and resilience as she has time and again overcome emotional, physical, and legal battles. Her path in art and in life has led her to creating and developing a mission centered around using her gifts and her story to connect, inspire, and most importantly, heal others. In our conversation, you'll hear about her incredible journey of running away from an abusive home, overturning legal injustice, and how her faith has played an integral role in her healing. We'll also discuss how she got started in her creative profession, her new venture in the NFT industry, and her dreams of what's to come. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Brittany Ann Art. That's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-A-N-N-E-A-R-T or her website at BrittanyAnnArt.com. Head over to the show notes to listen to additional audio clips, check out her art, or connect to her social links. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Brittany, hi. Welcome to the Searcher Studio podcast. How are you? Hi, Mike. Oh, I'm good. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, it's great to have you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and kind of seeing where it takes us. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much. So um, we had a previous conversation not too long ago, and I've dug into your Instagram a little bit and your Twitter and it just brings up a number of things. There's artist, there's a healing and trauma advocate, uh, a mother, child abuse survivor, a sepsis survivor, and now even a community growth manager. What to you kind of stands out? I would really say that at the heart of it all, I, I have and always will be an artist. And I, because of my past experiences, I always will be an advocate for those that, you know, need a voice. And I think that that manifests in many ways. And I, I also think that that ties into my abilities with um, growing communities because it's allowed me to see a lot of different perspectives. So kind of like to abstractly tie that in as well. <laughs> but you know, that may fluctuate, you know, through my life. Um, those kinds of things, I've, I've always enjoyed outreach to others, but at the heart of it all, I'm, I'm an artist and always will be <laughs> through and through. And your, your outreach and your advocacy stems from um, your past and growing up. And I was kind of wondering if maybe you could share with us a bit about your your uh, growing up as a child yeah 
Um, I'd love to, and you can always um, let me know if I'm making it too elaborate because it's quite the story. But um, I was raised in a home with a one parent, uh, my mother, who's very loving and supportive, and then um, my father, unfortunately, was very abusive and controlling. And so having the duality of those experiences and then shifting from one home to the next, um, when he actually eventually got custody of me and my siblings was very interesting experience. Um, I feel like I, I, overall, I say I had a traumatic childhood, but even saying that, I still had you know, moments of beauty. Uh, and I would always seek for those things. I would always be trying to do art, um, trying to see as much beauty and love as I could in every way. But it was definitely some dark times um, and not the traditional setup in terms of, you know, living in the U.S., you know, in a, in a um, religious home and, and kind of comparing to the lives of children around me. Um, there was a lot that went on that I didn't see until I was older that was, you know, pretty messed up. And so the impact that that left on me was um, astounding. I had to escape um, escape my situation when I turned 18 years old. Like literally, even though I was 18, I had to like bag up my stuff and and sneak bags out in the middle of the night and to try to make sure that once he knew I was leaving, I would be able to have my most precious belongings. And then um, I pursued the path of, of, you know, rescuing my sisters out of the same situation, um, which was a very long, long and winding path. This experience of running away is something that we see, I would say the average person sees, you know, in movies or reads about it in books. And, you know, we don't really have that that experience or even know anybody that's done it. I think the mo- the majority of people. So maybe you can kind of elaborate on that and kind of, uh, you know, what was that experience like? Where did you go? I actually, my mom had a little apartment um, in, in Utah, in Orem, Utah, and I just decided to go there. And um, my mom, it's a very interesting backstory of hers as well, because after she lost custody of us, she never stopped fighting for me. And I can honestly say that that's the reason why I'm the woman that I am now. Um, possibly even the reason I'm alive, because I feel like everything that happened to us left a pretty deep mental scar on me. And knowing that um, knowing that my mother was always rooting for me and that she'd given everything she could to protect me, um, that knowledge really, you know, saved me on a on a deep level. But um, I went to her house, and I, 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 most people around me probably had no idea what was, you know, the insanity of my life. But I just was trying to be like a normal college girl for a little while, and um, I, I tried to go to school and and continue to pursue my dreams with that. But then um, my my father actually. Um, said very suddenly he was going to move to Kansas and take my sisters with him and that I I wasn't going to see them anymore. And that was a big problem for 
um, for all three of us, me and my sisters, because we knew how he was and I knew that it was just another step in isolating them and hurting them further. And so um, basically at that point, I, I quit school to pursue um, legal action to try to protect them. And um, it was then that they, they came for their first visit to Utah six months after he moved them. We, we fought, my mom and I, to see them for six months. And unfortunately, the system wasn't of much help because it was already, our, our case was very much set up in his favor. And so by the time they came, they just, I'll never forget at that age that they were and how vulnerable they were. Um, just looking in my eyes and saying, if we go back, we're not going to be the same. Like, you have to help us. And I had been trying. I had gotten a court date set. But unfortunately, I learned very quickly at the young age of 19 that um, there's not a lot of quick action that's taken. Um, and, and sometimes when children are in dangerous settings, they don't um, acknowledge that very well. And so basically the way the hearing went was just like, hey, you know, scheduling conflicts, you know, our father's attorney said he couldn't make a couple of dates. And so they said, well, let's, let's push this hearing out to the fall. And in the meantime, send the girls back. And after, you know, we had laid out our hearts and souls through the writings I had done for the court um, that depicted everything that had happened to us, I, you know, it was devastating thinking that they were just going to go right back to him and he was going to know everything that was filed. And so um, at that point, they decided to run away. And um, that was that was a crazy time. I remember the first night they disappeared and I panicked and I went to the police. They came back the next morning, the the girls, and they just said, you know, don't ask where we've been. I know you've been trying to help us and like we were going to take this into our own hands. And they said, if we disappear again, like don't, don't try to find us. And that was just, yeah, like it does it. Even when I repeat our story, it sounds like it's a movie. Sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, you know, that really happened. Um, anyways, so a week later they did just that and they disappeared again. This time I wasn't in such immediate fear for their lives because I knew they had a plan that they were setting in motion, but I was still so torn on how I should handle my reaction to them disappearing again. So I waited a few hours, but the next day I did go to the police and I filed a missing persons report just because they were so young. I mean, gosh, they were, I'm trying to remember exactly their ages but I know that they were about 14 and 15 while all of this was ongoing. So your sisters are 14 and 15 or about that age at this time when they decide to run away. And are they in, you're still, they're still in Utah at this time, correct? Yes. Technically on their summer visitation to us, but keep in mind that they, you know, have lived in Utah their whole lives and had only been in Kansas for a few months so, you know, they were basically running away from home in their home state. So, yeah, that was quite an intense time. They um, 
they so that's why I said earlier, you know, they were really the runaways because they were they were gone for a year and a half and that was just the most wild ride and um even more so when we finally reunited years after that because they actually ended up getting sent back to our dad after um Utah found them. And so years later, we finally were able to speak openly about what they had gone through. And it just, um, yeah, it's incredible. During this time that they're gone, you don't have any communication with them? I didn't. And the most, I think the most heartbreaking part of the entire story was the whole time they were gone, I was trying to figure out, you know, it was such uncharted territory. Like, what do you do when you're an older sibling? You're not even a parent. You're the older sibling and you're fighting for your siblings for custody of them, but they're not even physically able to show up to hearings. All you have is their writings and you're kind of the mouthpiece for them from all the experiences they've told you and all that you yourself have been through. So that was a really... Um, difficult time. And the most heartbreaking piece of that was I was treated the entire time by the police like I knew where they were and that I was in contact with them. So not only was my heart breaking, like missing them so much, but I was being um, treated pretty awfully. And like, it was very invalidating, um, that pain of missing them. And then having like this mockery of like, no, you're just faking, you know where they are. Um, And the whole time just praying, praying to God that they were okay. And I felt, um, you know, I don't mean to get very spiritual here, but, you know, there's a lot of spiritual elements that tie into our journey that happened, like the way that they were led to people and homes that provided food and shelter for them. Like their whole story is completely divinely led. And on my end, I was always full of this just peace that somehow I knew that they were alive and that kept me going. But I also kind of wonder if maybe some of that, that feeling of peace and calm that I felt is what others were picking up on. I don't know. But all I know is there's a lot of injustice and there is a lot of of battling these forces that just seemed to set on tearing the three of us apart. And, you know, all we wanted was to be together and to be safe. You, you mentioned something about uh, how injustice, bringing injustice to light facilitates change. And you eventually did make a change within the Utah legal system, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Um, yeah, I'm grateful you brought that up. Um, you know, skipping ahead a few years after a whole lot more of exactly that injustice <laughs> of trying to communicate, have, have the states communicate um, over who was going to essentially take hold of the lives of my sisters, you know, between Utah and Kansas and um, between all of that, it ended up being years, as I said, until we were all brought together again. Um, when my oldest sister turned um, 19 and I went out and rescued her like a legit hired a private investigator went undercover 
left our phones in Utah, got burner phones, and drove across the country to get her. It was like the most intense and beautiful uh, weekend of my life. Um, Like seeing her for the first time, not literally like behind bars because they had been kept in a detention facility when they were found in Utah and treated like like criminals basically um seeing her and like seeing how how beautiful she had grown to be and um just um also seeing how broken she felt was like the most it was again I I just am a loss for words it was it was a beautiful and intense weekend and it was very emotional seeing her and of course she was very very happy to go but we we meaning me and my husband going out there like we knew that this choice was going to be up to her and if she said you know no I don't want to go or I'm not ready to go or I'm too scared to go you know we knew that it was completely her decision so that sacrifice of going out there was literally just for her to like give her that opportunity and I'm very grateful that she took it without hesitation and but that left my oh sorry go ahead no, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you but I just want to make sure because I think I I might have lost for a second her going there is you talking about her going in front of the judicial system oh I'm so sorry I get lost in like my own in <laughs> my own story and there's so much of it but basically she was she was behind bars in Utah when she was caught and then she was sent back to Kansas. So I'm talking about the reunification of when I went out to rescue her. And I fi- and I finally saw her for the first time in years. And the reason why that moment was so important um, in her choosing to leave and come back to Utah with me and my husband was that she played an integral role in changing this law as well. So... Um, so when she came back to Utah, we were able to make a lot of progress legally because it was her voice and mine. And so, um, yeah, I actually did with the Utah Supreme Court, um, changed a law that impacts the way that older siblings can fight for their younger siblings in the state. So I'm very grateful for that. And, and, um, I'm quite proud of that and also very, very grateful to the attorney that worked with me on that pro bono because he saw the importance of that and the vision of that. I I can imagine it's, um, you know, to experience abuse at a young age, the path away from that and out of that is probably like across the spectrum. I'm sure there's a lot of people that, you know, end up walking into quite dark situations. So I'm curious to know kind of what what was the impetus to kind of move more into a healing path for you? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that there's any one thing that, that um, pulled me into healing. I think like there was a choice, a conscious choice. And the reason why I made the choice, it always came back to two things for me. And that was the strength of my mom, seeing how hard she had fought for me growing up 
and then um, I, I'm, I'm Christian, and I really held to, um, I wouldn't say my faith as in like my religion, but really held to this image of um, that I had a savior that was knowledgeable and aware and um, something that I've really come to love and adore in other people is how how much our spiritual beliefs can carry us through dark times. I really feel like believing in that gave me a strength beyond my own. Faith in a higher power that knows me deeply and intimately and knows what I've walked through, um, that that faith has carried me through unimaginable things. And um, so I would say it's completely intertwined with my journey. I don't think that I would have been able to come out the other side having any hope for a life and for healing and especially for the kind of life I have now um, had I not you know, leaned into that faith in times when things felt, um, you know, completely dark. So it was with you throughout this process. It wasn't something that you came onto or into after um, resolution. Yes. (laughs) And yes. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it, you know, it's like it's an ever evolving um, journey for me. So what my faith looked like when I was, you know, 12 years old and basically went through, I went through a, what I would call a faith crisis at that point where I, I hit a path where I was going to choose, you know, do I believe that there's even a God that exists and knows me or do I not? And I had a pretty unquestionable, amazing experience that turned me to believe in God. And so it's like I look at the faith of that 12-year-old girl I look at the faith of my 19-year-old self, you know, my um, 23-year-old self, my now self, and it's like it, it's progressed and changed in ways that I couldn't have seen, and yet it has sustained me that whole time. Um, so that's why I would say yes to both of those questions. And I can see that you using that as a source of... Um perseverance you know these these yeah these tools that you really used to keep yourself strong in times where you know frankly I think a lot of people would give up yeah um I would consider it a tool and I would consider it a balance of and I hope this doesn't sound you know self-conceited to say this but a balance of that that energy being there of that, you know, higher power supporting me that I chose to believe in, but also my, um, my action and my choices that I took to self-sustain and to, um, be resilient and to, you know, carry through and endure. Like, I don't want to say it was all this higher power to the point where I discredit myself. I do realize that as, you know, humans living our lives, like we have choices every day that define us. And I did choose to be where I am today. And that was sometimes very hard to make that choice. But simultaneously, yes, that that power was there. So I kind of want to look a little bit closer at 
your process of coming out of this trauma? Um, you know, for anyone that's listening that is, has, has experienced this or is experiencing this, what were the first kind of steps and like, where did that lead you in terms of, uh, healing yourself and healing the, you know, the, the past, what was kind of like that process, that step, those steps? That's a fantastic question. I hope I can give it justice in this moment. Um, I would say at the forefront of my mind, the first thing was achieving a state of safety. And something happened that was um, unexpected with that. As soon as I achieved safety and peace, I realized how much my nervous system was wired and conditioned to live in a state of chaos, basically from the time I was a baby. And so understanding that I was actually experiencing discomfort in silence and peace and safety. (laughs) And so that led me through my next step, which was um, associating with my pains and traumas in the most healthy way that I could. It's very, very human to want to numb and run away. Um, or either one. (laughs) And I tried really hard not to do either. Um, And part of this might be my personality. I don't want anyone listening to be like, oh, I should be better at reacting this way. Um, A a core part of who I am, I've found, is I really crave experience. And that's how I gain knowledge. So it's like if somebody asks me to give a bunch of facts off the top of my head. That's difficult for me to do, but I can describe the sensations of walking through it because that's just how I learn. And so for me, I wanted the understanding of how I could heal through the pain and do it as quickly as I could, basically. (laughs) And so um, noticing the, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Noticing the tendencies within me to want to numb and distract from the pain and even pretend like it didn't happen. I can't tell you how many times as a young woman, I just wanted to be a college student. I just wanted to like go to my first party. Like I was so sheltered from things and had simultaneously had so much hurt in my life that I had never experienced life. I had never made choices for myself And so, you know, wanting to just forget that it ever happened was something that I had to fight. Um, But once I started delving into the inner work and, oh gosh, that was how hard that was and how deep it was, that gave me the wings to fly. Like it gave me the next step and the next step, which eventually led to now, which is I'm at a point where I feel enough at peace that I can give back to others and I can offer them hope and offer them, you know, basically a way out like, Hey, this is, this is possible. So I hope that answers your question. No, it, it does. Um, I mean, it's an incredible level of self-awareness that you had in order to spot your desire to escape and prevent it. Um, through drugs or alcohol or whatever it was, um, and also recognizing the denial uh, aspect of like, you know, 
wanting to just, I just want to go on with my life. I don't want to, I don't want to look at any of this. I think, I mean, I think we all suffer from that. You know, we all have something within us that we're just like, I don't want to look at this. I just want to, I just want to get back to work. I just want to do what I got to do, you know? So, um, yeah, I definitely, yeah. And I guess I'm also curious to know a bit about like the hard steps that you made in terms of like, um, like therapy, what did that look like? What were you like physically doing in order to, to like strengthen yourself and, and to go through this process? Yeah. Um, for me, and I know that this is again, like a deeply personal journey. So those that are listening, it might look different and that's okay. For me, um, I tried EMDR. It went, it went well. Um, it helped me a lot. Then I took a break from therapy. I basically did, (laughs) uh, I don't want to say self therapy, but I just did some healing things on my own. I did a lot of what's called future self journaling. Um, I did a lot of processing through journaling. I highly recommend that and not journaling where it's like, this is what I ate today. And this is what I took my kids to do. It's like the deep reflective, you know, that shadow work that, you know, today I had this trigger and it led me to, as I sat in that trigger and I and I thought back to where it started, it led me to realize that I have this tendency and this habit that's deeply ingrained and I want to break it. But in order to break it, I have to unearth this negative self-belief I've had in me from the abuse that I am, you know, a liar or I'm worthless or whatever it might be. And so like really unearthing those things that were plaguing me, but that were so buried deep Um, a lot of that came out in journaling. And then that allowed me to be ready. Um, I also did a lot of like herbal and healing for my body because um, as all of these things were coming up in me and I was having some repressed memories come up and things like I got very sick, which I've noticed as I've spoken to many people, that's a pattern (laughs) that happens um, when there's a lot of trauma that's occurred. And so as I was doing all of that to support and nourish my physical body as well as the emotional, it allowed me to be ready to meet my next therapist. And um, yeah, working with her has been an absolute dream. And she just was able to help me healthily process a lot of like the deeper memories that were coming up um, and helped me understand the beauty of like being willing to see see those things and not be afraid. Like I'm finally at this stage in my life, I'm no longer afraid to see any memory or like any part of what I've walked through because it has formed who I am today and where I'm at now. And as an adult, you know, I can do a lot of work to go in and heal my inner child and I can be that safety net. I don't have to be scared. I don't have to feel like you know, there are adults around me hurting me. I'm an adult, so I can set boundaries. And so learning how to do all of that has just been so life-changing. But I do, I do recommend therapy. I recommend, you know, finding the person that's the best fit for 
your individual trauma, you know, speaking you in generally and, um, and just doing as much as you can on your own. Like I would say that my sessions and the time I've spent with professionals, I wouldn't be sure that it would have been as impactful had I not taken steps on my own because And I'm sure there's a quote about this somewhere, but the actions that we take, you know, just us by ourselves is really what forms us into who we are and who we want to become. So those actions were imperative too. I think it's important to note that you can't go to therapy and just expect something to be fixed. Do you think, and this might be a little bit, um, philosophical, but do you think it's important to heal oneself uh, before being a healer or can it be part of the journey? I I really love this question. It's brought a big smile to my face. Um, I've, I've never been asked that before by somebody else. And um, speaking for myself, I absolutely believe that's the process of life. I think um, I grew up wanting to be a healer. I knew I was an artist and I always would be. And I also, as I became a bit older, realized I want to be a therapist. I want to help people heal. And as life has thrown me many different lessons and many times left me to question, you know, why am I going through this experience What's the meaning? What's the purpose? Um, At the end of the day, it's come very strongly for me that you wanted to be a healer. And in order to heal others, you must first heal yourself. And I don't want that to be taken, taken to an extreme. Like we can't move forward and give back to others until we're in this perfect state of healing because that never happens. (laughs) I think that we can also give a lot of our knowledge and our energy along the, along the way. But, um, I do know that learning how to heal myself, that's exactly what I can now convey to others. And I, there's so many things that I wouldn't have been able to understand and empathize with in others had I not experienced that process myself. It gives me the relatability to see where others are at and what might be needed next. And um, I'm speaking both presently and futuristically because I haven't finished my art therapy degree, but someday I will. And I know I'll be doing more of that as well. So um, yeah. (laughs) Add that to the list. (laughs) Yes. I think that's perfect. uh, That's a perfect path, you know, and I, I think it combines a lot of elements that we've spoken about. Um, you mentioned art, and I think that was a great, it's a great segue into discussing your journey as an artist. Um, at what point did you realize that art was a tool for your own healing and potentially other people's he- healing as well? Oh, I was very little, (laughs) very little when um, I found that it was a tool for myself. 
and a bit older when I realized it was a tool for others. Um, probably for that one, around the age of, um, I'd say about 14, when I started deciding, yeah, I definitely want to do this art therapy thing. What is that? Because I had heard that term, so I decided then I want to go to college to do this um, because I had seen at that point the impact, you know, looking back in hindsight, I could see the impact that art had left on my life from a young age. Um, Honestly, I think um, art was the thing that filled my time instead of other things. Like you had mentioned, you know, kind of disassociating or numbing with drugs and things like that. I think had I not had art, I absolutely would have gone a different route with my time because I needed something to pour my hard emotions into and to, um, you know, just channel that energy, really. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's those are about the ages. Can you kind of talk a bit about um, where your art journey started um, when you started to kind of move out of the making art as a hobbyist and then into making it a little bit more professionally or for healing or what was that natural transition? I would say it was a natural transition with kinks along the way because I think even when we are doing things that set our souls on fire and doing something that we feel passionate about, it it doesn't mean that you're any less meant to do that thing if you're running into hiccups, you know, (laughs) like I still had to learn, for example, how to value myself as an artist and how to price that out. And, um, my husband was very helpful with me in that because when I, um, when I first started charging for artwork in about 2013, I was making pennies (laughs) by the time that you factor in the supplies and the time cost. I mean, I don't know what I was doing. I just, I had very low expectations. I mean, I'd I'd grown up being told, you know, you're not going to make anything as an artist and you shouldn't pursue this thing and um, by my dad. And so I just, I had some core beliefs to work on. I had, you know, some business mindset, a a lot of business mindset work to do. Um, I'm very at peace with all of it now, but I'm still you know, navigating that as we all do. Um, but I would say pretty natural. I mean, it started with me reaching out to others and charging, as I said, pennies for my work, really, for the amount of detail and time that went into it. And you're correct. I've I've done like all mediums. I really like exploring everything. So I basically like taught myself how to do realism in, in pencil work, um, with acrylic paint, watercolor paint, you know, you name it. I have, I've had fun um, doing different modalities and different mediums. So um, yeah, initially it was a little bit, you know, there were kinks and things and learning how to put a website up and learning how to market my art and paying Facebook ads, learning what, what worked and what didn't. And um, then after a few years, um, I really hit a sweet spot where it just was really word of mouth. Um, and now it's like there's been enough word of mouth that, you know, people will contact me and sometimes 
I have to say, um, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do this for, you know, three months. And, um, part of that is my, um, limited time, you know, as a mom. And, um, another part of that is I just stay booked up, which I'm really, really grateful for. And, um, it's, it's healed a part of me that is hard to describe just this deep level of knowing I can do what I've always known I've wanted to do and I can place a value on it and I can have that value validated and reciprocated by others and then see how it blesses their lives. So that's been really cool. And that's kind of the progress there. Making that first step from just making art for yourself to then getting paid to make art. What was your first paid uh, piece? Uh, oh my gosh, you just took me way back. Um, so I had just just started college. Um, I had done some college classes through high school as well. So like when I say I started college, it was my first year on campus, but I'd had a couple years under my belt. Um, it was kind of a way for me to channel some more of my hard emotions. It was just like working hard at classes. So anyways, um, there was just this guy that I met in college and he wanted some drawings done of his family. He's like, I'm going to visit them for Christmas. I want to commission you to draw each of my siblings. And I was like, whoa, a commission? <laughs> like, I, I felt like I, you know, had nailed it. Like I had it made. And then I was super nervous, like, oh my gosh, I, what's, how do I price this? Like, how do I, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. So I charged him very, very low, but that was really fun for me because that was that first spark of like, somebody sees that I'm an artist and that I'm drawing and, um, you know, they value that. It was just, that was super cool. That's awesome. I think that's like, um, at that level, you're just like, I'll just do it for free. Like, thank you for asking. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> so you, true. You want this? Okay. Like, that's the payment right there. But um, yeah, that's great. Um, I notice in a lot of your work, there's like, you do portraits, which you just mentioned. There's some faith based work, um, some landscapes. What would you say is kind of like the constant in how you approach your work, your subject matter? What do you kind of. What's kind of the baseline that you find throughout all your work? Definitely portraits. Um, a lot of origin story portraits, which I can explain what that is. And also a lot of um, like lost portraits. Um, people seem to come to me who have, um, you know, experienced some kind of deep grieving process, whether that's they themselves have gone through something or um, a family member they're commissioning for, or they've, like I've said, they've lost a loved one um, who's moved on to the next life and they they really want something um, depicting that. So the nature of what I've been doing in, in more recent years has been so deeply personal and sacred to people that um, I, I haven't posted much of my work. So I'm very grateful that you've gone through what I do have posted though, because it kind of, as I go back and look at the things I've shared, it's like this whole journey from what I was doing then to now, but um, it's been a lot of the same type of work like that. Um, 
so yeah, just inner child healing, um, you know, relationships work, spiritual work. I had a fellow sepsis survivor. She came to me and said, I had this, you know, incredible experience out of the depths of the pain of sepsis in the hospital. And I look at the pictures of me with all the tubes and I just feel like it doesn't show me and what I was going through. Can you take this photo and can you incorporate this or that? Like people usually have suggestions. And then also um, a lot of the people, since they hear word of mouth about my work, they know I do a lot of like prayer and meditation over them like over their piece. And so, you know, she just said also just anything that you feel to add. So, I mean, it's, it's so cool. I basically like painted her in the hospital bed, but in like a white gown instead of like the hospital gown. And like we took tubes off and there's, there's this light emanating and there's like, just this like glow around her. Like she's not, you know, so sick and tied down to the bed, but rather that was a transcendence for her. Like that changed her into who she is today. And so, yeah, just stuff like that. That's incredible. I think looking through your, your Instagram account, I got a a sense of that, but I didn't realize the impact and like the actual healing element that is already integrated into your work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I do. Part of it too is my own need to update my platforms. I've like, you know, started running with um, the NFT world and like all of the art I'm creating for that. So I need to go back and update some more of the pieces that I do have permission to share. But I'm glad that from what's there that you can see some of that <laughs> at least. How do you approach when you make work? Like, what's your process? Do you listen to music? Do you, like, what are the kind of the basic elements of your creative process? Um, I I love this. Um, I pretty much get out my materials. I've learned I really like starting and finishing one piece or a set of pieces if it's, like, for somebody and they're getting a set. Um before I move on to another, because I get in an, a whole zone that fits the vibe specific to that piece. So I don't like to jump around <laughs> because um, I want to give all of my attention to it. And so I work best when I'm listening to music. Um, I've learned this the hard way. <laughs> I've tried to like especially if it's a really big piece I'm working on. And this was especially before I was more, you know, meditating on every piece and things as it's gotten more and more um, of a spiritual, emotional process. I would try to put a show on in the background or listen to a podcast. And there's just something about it, like even that slight bit more of distraction versus just listening to music. So I prefer... Yeah, having the music on. What what kind of music? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it depends on the piece. Uh, I have a whole like creative zone playlist. It's literally the name of my playlist on Spotify that I'll put on. And it's a lot of acoustic, just more chill tones. Um, I personally know some artists that listen to like rock. It's like, that's awesome. Like more more power to every artist to do 
what feels best to their process. Um, I've experimented a lot with different kinds of music and I just go for the more ambient, chill, um, sometimes like indie music, but I will also put on classical or even like, there's like theta brainwave music, like um, the kind of stuff you'd probably fall asleep to on YouTube. And I love that because it allows me to really really get in the zone. So I'll usually pick from one of those three. And um, yeah, and so like my husband will take the kids when he's off work and then um, that's when I can really get into it. I, I can do work around my children, and but then I can't give them my full attention and I also can't give the piece my full attention. So it's pretty much at this stage that we're in, like when I'm alone is when I work and there's something very um just sacred about that space it's it's fun it's like it's healing for me too I always tell people you know thank you for giving me the opportunity to paint this for you and I mean it I'm not just trying to be cliche (laughs) it's something that I look forward to and seriously like I, I pinch myself that I can get paid to do something that I love so much um yeah, just hoping I can always do more and more of that. But yeah, it's pretty much my process. And depending on the medium, you know, sometimes I'm smearing chalk pastel. And so my work desk is like scattered with colorful dust. And sometimes I'm painting. And so it's like I have to wear my painting clothes because I'll be wiping my brushes off and paint flecks will be flying, you know, and it's, it's fun. (laughs) That's amazing. Do you have a, uh, like a dedicated space where you, sounds like you like to get a little bit messy when you create. Do you have a dedicated space for that? Yes. And the mess really is, you know, again, like comparing digital to the physical, the mess is really fun. Um, it, the scary thing about it is there's not room for mistakes like there is with (laughs) digital work, digital work. You can just undo. In fact, I was at my desk, um, which speaking of my space, I'll describe it to you. It's fun. But I was at my desk the other day and I just finished doing some digital work on my one of ones. And I literally like made a line outside of where I wanted to. And I was like tapping, (laughs) like like tapping an undo button that wasn't there. (laughs) And I just like started laughing because I've heard of artists doing that before, but I'm still getting used to that transition between, you know, digital and physical. But I I have a little art studio. Um, It's just like a little open room in my house. And um, gosh, you know, it's crazy. People talk about manifesting. And when I was a little girl, I always wanted just a little old house. I wanted a room for my art. I wanted a German shepherd wanted to have kids and I just wanted to paint and like that is literally like the universe has come full circle for me in that way that's 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 yeah (laughs) fantastic I mean that's like amazing I love I love hearing that in like I'm visualizing kind of this little world that you have created for yourself and cultivated so it's It's, that's hopeful, you know? Yeah. It really is. Yeah. There's that, um, hopeful part of the story, you know, that, um, comes into play, which is an important piece of it because I want others to know they can, they can dream too. And 
and manifest their dreams. In addition to kind of what you were talking about your process, I would like to know if you have any advice to any young artists or people that are just venturing into transitioning into digital art or anything for any artist that's out there that's maybe not at the level that you're at. What what sort of advice would you give uh, a young up-and-coming artist? Oh, well, we are always learning, so it's like I'm, I'm choosing what direction to take with, you know, speaking to skill level versus just I think I want to address this in more of an approach of um, emotionally, like what to expect and how to choose what you're going to do with your art because, um, yeah, that feels feels good. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things, the most important things that I could pass on to an artist that might be earlier on in their journey in any aspect um, to mine um, is that don't allow anyone to box you in or define what your art needs to look like. Um, there's always going to be voices directing, you know, and trying to channel your creative flow. And it's not always a bad thing. People are, you know, they look at artists and they see opportunity and they might really love your art, but still give critiques. And just because someone supports your art, doesn't mean you have to follow their opinions for you. Um, and so, yeah, I would say always follow your gut with that and be sure to value yourself. Um, place your value probably higher, much, much higher than you think you need to because um, if you're anything like me, earlier on the journey, you tend to... Um, you really tend to undermine your value, especially if you are battling with like self-esteem. Um, I know that a lot of artists, we tend to wrap our identities into our art. So also remember that you are an artist, but that's not all that you are. If something were to happen and you weren't able to make art for a while, um, you know, you'd still at the end of the day be your own beautiful individual. And your ability to create and express doesn't only begin and end with a piece of paper or your iPad. So those would be a few of the things that I'd like to pass on. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's uh, helpful for anybody in their process, regardless of wherever their experience is at. I think people people struggle with that kind of stuff their entire life i hear about actors that are have made 100 movies and they're still like i get really nervous what is kind of the next step for you as you kind of bridge this gap now because you're bridging multiple gaps by stepping into the nft space it's digital art if i'm not mistaken your first foray into or not maybe not your first but you're you're new to digital work and uh kind of moving into a new um social media Twitter, whereas you're primarily on Instagram. So what's what's that experience been like? And then maybe we can start talking a little bit about your NFT project. Yeah, I would love that. Um, yeah, I love that we connected on there and there's been so many amazing connections. I would just say like 
I know I've, I've used this word quite a bit, but it's been a complete transformation um, going from web two to web three, um, going from kind of the old way I've done art to the new, which I still am currently like doing physical art. I don't think I'll ever be able to stop. There's just something so magical about playing with the materials hands-on, but I do love the freedom that having Procreate has given me. Um, you were actually correct. That was the first digital piece I've ever shared. Like I've, I've played around a little bit with it, but I just dove in completely and did like a self-portrait of myself that's, you know, on my Twitter. And um, the response to that's been like amazing. I mean, I did it for myself. Um, it was for proving it to myself that I could learn a new medium but it's just been so fun, the doors that that has opened. Um, and I kind of wanted to, you know, prove to myself and learn more about digital art so that I could do a digital medium for my first, um, you know, one of ones, as they call them, um, my first paintings to sell as NFTs. So, but gosh, the community has been like so <laughs> incredibly supportive. Um, as you can tell, it just, it lights me up. It's like, I'm very, very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I, if anybody's an artist and looking to find a community of people that uh, are supportive and, I mean, it's kind of the place to be, I think. Um, and you don't even really have to be involved with NFTs. I've actually met a bunch of artists that are just there, just meeting and sharing art and talking and um, looking at other people's work. So it's... I second that wholeheartedly and i think that's why we're both stepping into this space it's because we finally see a community built around art that is accessible um so tell me and i think it's amazing that you chose your own self-portrait as your first thing it's like you <laughs> you materialized yourself through your art in order to show yourself that you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you put it that way, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be a little Charlie Kaufman-esque of me to, uh, I don't know if you know that reference. It's I don't. very uh, meta. It's very meta. It's like looking at yourself that's looking at yourself that's looking, you know, deep, deep, deep. Um, so your project is going to be one of ones and it is involving um, integrating the inner child and doing uh, healing work within that. Um, I was wondering if you could first tell us a little bit about steps of healing the inner child and then um, what your work is looking like and what your project, the entirety of your project is, has a lot of factors. So I, I really kind of want to dig in a little bit here. Yeah. I'm like, where to begin with that? It's <laughs> such a, like a juicy question, like full of so many good things, but inner child work. Um, I don't know if the steps are the same for everyone, um, you know, but in my own experience, it's just this way to approach and recognize and heal um, those parts of myself that were left unhealed. I mean, basically, when you go through anything in life, we we walk through an experience and it's not often that we have like complete and total 
peace and silence after to sit and think through it and process it. Like it's pretty, life is pretty fast paced onto the next experience. And um, there were just so many, this might sound, you know, strange to someone listening about inner child work for the first time. It did once for me too, but there were so many versions of me, like little girls inside of me basically that needed validation. Um, So what I'm doing now with my project is basically the same thing. It's like my inner child process put into a piece of artwork in a way that I am hoping it outreaches to others that either have done the same kind of work or I'm hoping that it will kind of ping some people you know, in the heart when they see it and go, oh, like I, I want that or I need to do some of that Um, kind of to help, you know, awaken if there's any parts that need that validation and healing. So the way that my inner child process integrates into my project um, is basically that, like I'm going to have three different pieces um, one of them is going, it's, it's a digital painting of going and retrieving um, a past version of yourself as a child, um, kind of in like darkness. So in a setting that, um, you know, the child's kind of huddled, like feels, feels alone or afraid and kind of um, you, you know, in the general form, you going and scooping up that child and the second piece is kind of a it's the one that I'm working on right now and it puts a big smile on my face to talk about it because it's hard to explain but soon people will be able to see it um it's kind of a snapshot of the process of integrating so it's like that child is now nourished and rested and comforted and kind of being held by the older self And then the third piece is going to be like an image of one person. It's a woman. I'm I'm doing this from a woman's perspective first because that's been my experience, but I I would really love to do one for um, male energy as well. So I'm planning to do that as well. But um, the third piece is showing the one woman and she's just basically like radiating from this place of wholeness because she's gathered those inner pieces. So that's how I like, I'm trying to depict what inner child healing has done for me and how it might look visually. Are each of these steps, so to say, um, evidence-based or are they more of like an interpretation of what you've experienced? Um, I really like that question. I don't know if I can say that like each of the steps um, taken, you know, from these three different pieces are solidly from evidence, but I can say like the process of inner child healing work, there is evidence that they've found. Um, Neuroscientists have found through research that there are cells in the amygdala, which is like the emotion center of our brains. Um, and by healing the inner child and providing healing in that way, there's healing that goes on in the brain, which is amazing because like, 
and I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit nerdy here, but I'm obsessed with neurogenesis, like the idea that when we go through trauma and we have neurons and like nerve endings that that die essentially and stop sending signals when they're overstimulated. So I'm very intrigued by the idea that there are things that can um, bring life back to these nerve endings in our brains that shut off from trauma because I just refuse to believe that like because of my experiences, um, I am forever going to be kind of um, mentally handicapped by PTSD and other things. And I, I hesitate to use that word. I don't want it to sound like I'm throwing that word around lightly, but that's essentially, you know, what PTSD does. It's, it inhibits. And so the, the beauty of inner child healing is that there have been studies and um, there's new knowledge illuminating how humans are influenced by the inner child through their lifespan. And, you know, experiences during our childhoods have impacts on the choices we make in the course we take in our lives, in our professions, and how we act in relation to the next generation. And so I just think that's so incredible. So while I can't, you know, claim on here, and I'm not, um, you know, there's, I don't have a way to say these three pieces are clinically proven. I will say that that is the feeling of what it's done for my brain and for my body. And so um, I'd like to think from the people I've spoken with that they have had the same kind of steps as well. It's digital art, but can you talk a little bit about the art that you're creating for these? Yes. Um, in fact, I, I really, I'm so visual, so I like to pull it up and look at it as I'm talking. Um, without giving away too terribly much, it's, um, it's a lot of color play. Um, there's going to be a lot of symbolism. Since you've seen my self-portrait, um, it's a lot like that where I'm going to have some different elements in it and it's not just for the, the looks. It's like, it's there to enhance the overall painting, but there's going to be so much hidden symbolism that I'm deciding if I'm going to, you know, put out there publicly or if it's just going to be mostly for the, um, owners of the NFTs, but it's going to be, I think quite special. And something I wanted to add about the artwork is the first image of like going in and rescuing the younger version of self is very um, meaningful to me because when I was about 12 years old, um, I had that image come to me, except it wasn't in the way that I'm depicting it now with my older self going and rescuing her. It was just, I saw myself um, just kind of huddled, and um, this sounds quite depressing, but just huddled up and crying, and just like this darkness around her. And so now it's very symbolic to me to, you know, have a drawing where I get to draw what I've always seen, but now it's um, kind of concluded itself full circle to where I've gone in 
and I can rescue her and have. Are you also, I think you mentioned it, but correct me if I'm wrong. Are you also um, involving nonprofit work into this NFT release? Yes, um, very much so. And I am still in the process of researching which nonprofit I want to select to contribute to, or if I'm actually going to um, start one of my own. I, I have worked for nonprofits before, um, you know, projects speaking out for children and things. Um, I've flown to a few conventions and spoken in the past. And so it's something that means a lot to me because it's not some like new idea that I'm, I'm trying to find a way to, you know, find something to contribute to. It's like, I've always hoped for the opportunity to, um, sell artwork and do it in a way and at a price that I can give, you know, as much of that as I can to, um, you know, like one idea that I have is I, I actually lived in domestic violence shelters growing up. So I've seen a lot of projects who have donated to those kinds of places. And oh my gosh, I would love to have the opportunity to do that because there's just so much change that can be wrought from um, giving back to places that are nourishing children or providing them a safe space. So yeah, I, I'm still deciding exactly what I'm going to do, but that's absolutely a piece of it. Um, you said you're working on the second one. What is your, do you have a, do you have a plan? Do you have a date in mind or are you just kind of building slowly and then going to attach a date once you have the pieces finished? I'm playing that, um, fun balancing act of, you know, what feels right and also taking action, you know, as, as quick as I feel necessary. So for now, um, my original date was end of May because that's my birthday, (laughs) but I want to say like, we'll see. I, I'd rather have a date set in June and then have them completed in their fullness because it does take so many hours on each than to, you know, I'd hate to ever rush a part of the process. So, um, yes. So just, you can stay tuned for that. <laughs> it seems like, um, intuition is a big part of your process and your life. So, um, yeah, I can see, I can see you leaning into that and wanting to put a date, but also needing to, uh, trust yourself and, and trust the process first. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, trusting that is important to me. I think when it comes down to logic and intuition, um, it's times when I get caught up in the logistics of when I should do something. And I kind of, if I lose that spark of, you know, intuitiveness that's burning in me, then it's harder for me to get things done. (laughs) So I'm definitely led by intuition. Like it's my drive. So yeah, you said it perfectly. I can relate to that so much. I have to take breaks from my project and spending time on Twitter, uh, 
pretty regularly, actually. I think there's a lot of people that are just on there constantly and hats off to them. They're really building something um, special or they're really putting in a lot of effort. And for me, it's like sometimes I'll push into something and then I'll say, okay, I need to pull back. And thankfully I'll be able to do that. But other times I know I need to pull back and I won't and I'll keep pushing and yes. then I'll find myself like a month down the road. I'll be like, what, what am I doing? Like, this isn't, this wasn't the direction I wanted this to go. So I'll, then I'll have to take an even bigger step back and kind of re regather where I'm at. Yes. I, I don't mean to like go on too much of a tangent, but I completely resonate with what you just said. In fact, um, I did something called a human design reading, which is basically like, for those that don't know, it's kind of like a astrological chart reading, but more, way more in depth. (laughs) And something that came up on my chart is like, I have a tendency to have a hard time letting go of things that are no longer good for me or serving me. And oh my gosh, it's just, it's completely right. And I find parallels to that in everything. Like, um, you know, Twitter spaces, you brought up that, you know, pushing, pushing against the flow of just like, no, I, but I need to stay on here because I've been in line for three hours and (laughs) I need to get up and speak (laughs) or like any, it, it, it manifests in so many ways. It's not just like letting go of relationships or materialistic objects. It's that shows up in any amount of anything that takes up our mental, emotional, or physical space, you know? And so I just, yeah, love that you brought that up. Do you have a, a kind of a philosophy on um, overcoming obstacles? Because you've, you've come th- quite a ways in your journey yeah. and you're still at such a young age. Um, do you have like, when something hits you that you're not expecting is there a a mental or even physical aspect of what how you approach an obstacle? That is a really amazing question. <laughs> um, yeah, just um, I'm gonna think on that for just a second because I do. I, I'm realizing like there is a channel that runs through me and there's a certain way that I respond to things, but I have never been asked that specifically. Um, You know, for me, I think it goes back to, sorry, one second. I got to clear my throat. throat) Take a second if you need to. (laughs) Thanks. I know we can. Yeah, maybe I will. You could just shorten that window and it could be like, whoa, she had that genius on the tip of her tongue. (laughs) (laughs) she was on the ball (laughs) making me sound smarter than I actually am (laughs) that's amazing um actually Mike I like to ask you this before I answer I I don't know if this would be like off course from what you just asked but I was just journaling this morning and I was writing about how one of the biggest lessons that this life experience has taught me is that in order to achieve my higher self, which I feel like is passing through all of these different levels of hard experiences, 
in order to do that and achieve that, I'm required to let go of a lot of things. And sometimes I'm um, hesitant to let go of them. Like there are things that I really love that have served me in the past and even relationships. Um, like an example is I had to let go of my entire extended family on my, my dad and my stepmom's side. Um, and that was really hard to feel like that was no longer a place where I could be myself and, and be safe. And, um, you know, I don't know, my throat still has a tickle. One second. I, think... <clears throat> I don't think that's like a governing meridian, but that's like, you know, I don't no, know. I was going to say, I think <laughs> that's ahead. like, I think letting go is something that we all struggle with, right? We have this, um, this grasp on an idea or a way of life or a comfort or whatever it is that we, you know, even expectations, I think expectations are a huge thing. And like, how hard is it to just say, I'm not going to have any expectations for whatever this is. You know, for me, it's one of the hardest things, which is why I like for me too. It's, it's, it's why I need to step into little, take little steps into things because otherwise I'll take a big step and it's like, this is where it's going. And I won't be able to let go of that idea that I created in my head. So. um, Oh my gosh. Yes. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, another philosophical question, um, do you also have a kind of a philosophy on, you know, choosing to not let others determine your path? Oh, absolutely. I, um, I'm a strong believer that we have so much power. It's almost this feeling of infinite power to me. Um, through our own decisions and actions. Um, you know, I, I like to look at it as, as well, like breaking generational patterns. Like every day that we make a decision that we go into with um, love and with truth and empowerment and we're just trying to be a good person, every day that we do that has a massive ripple effect. Like it's not just our own lives that we're changing. It's impacting so many others. And a very, very small example of this could be just the decision to tell somebody that they have a beautiful smile or that you, you know, appreciate their thoughts or just someone random that you run into at the store and like you never know what an impact that might make on that individual's life. Like you, when you sense that, you know, someone around you is having a hard day, it's like we never have the full context. So I know that's a relatively, you know, seemingly small example. And there's bigger ones. It's like, just because I have a parent that was so abusive, you know, I'm I refuse to be that way. I refuse to give in to triggers, to darkness, and I choose to go into every day with with love and an intention of what I want my life to look like. I mean, is is there anything more powerful than that? I 
I just kind of don't think so. There's a great speech. You've probably heard it. It's very famous. David Foster Wallace, This is Water. Um, and he, that's exactly what he says, you know, like we're, we can, we can become so um, almost like institutionalized in our own mind that we just totally neglect the possibility of what else could be happening in somebody else's day that, you know, in, instead of them affecting like their behavior affecting us, like us, how about us instead looking at how perhaps they're having their own experience and not it's about you. Um, if you could have kind of a freedom for a year to build any project that you wanted to build, whether it be um, freedom from uh, financial worries or responsibilities within your house or anything like that, you can kind of create whatever it is that you want to create and you have a whole year to build this project. Um, what would you, what would you do? <sighs> this is a cool one. Um, um, a vision I've had for a long time that I would work on if I was free from all other responsibilities or time or financial constraints would be definitely to build a big healing center. And um, I, I've thought about this in great detail, <laughs> so I won't take up, you know, half an hour talking about it, but it would essentially be a big, bright, beautiful place for people to come and to find self-expression in the arts where there's no boxing in, you know, no right or wrong, which, I mean, that's quintessential art is, you know, really there's no wrong or right way to make it, but um, I'd love to have, you know, trained mental health professionals there. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to have, I don't know about people that could help provide ways for, you know, legal action to protect children that come in, but I want it to be a place for children, for the parents, just for like the healing as a whole. And I would paint big murals in it and have art galleries, you know, walls to display art on of the people that come through and heal. Um, I don't want to say students because it wouldn't be necessarily, it would be a place of instruction and edification, but not like in the structured sense. It would be, you know, just a place to come and process. So any of the kids for any amount of time that they're there, um, that's what I would do. You know, there are some places I, like I mentioned earlier, I stayed in when I was younger and, um, you know, these places weren't particularly well funded. I think, um, my memories of them are, it was pretty run down, but because I felt safe and because they had safe adults there and people that wanted to help me and do art projects with me. Um, I, I cried when we packed up to leave and I told my mom, I want to come back here for the holidays. I want to come back and, and live here again, you know, because it was a place where, you know, like in that time and place, people are getting um, stuffed animals and cans of food donated to, to us, but it meant 
everything. I can't even describe, begin to describe how that felt. And so if I could create a place like that, but kind of implement more things that I've learned along the way, I just think that would be amazing for, you know, my community here. And then, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, as you can tell, I've thought a lot about this and I would just do a lot of, of teaching art and, you know, expand kind of a little art empire in that way. That's beautiful. I think the question is, you know, um, posed to kind of elicit, elicit some uh, dreamy reality, but you sound like you have put some serious thought into this. I try not to have, you know, too many expectations, kind of take, you know, one foot in front of the other, um, as we spoke of, but this is something that I would love to make a reality in my lifetime or even in the next few years. So I'm really excited to see how my art as NFTs could um, kind of be the foundation piece for some of that. Um, or be, you know, just a pillar in it. So I'm excited. Do you want to take a second and um, share any last closing thoughts? The The mic's open. Thank you. I mean, truthfully, I feel like this entire time has been open mic. It's been really, um, really wonderful for me. And um yeah, I can't remember the last time I've sat and had a discussion with someone beginning to end. And I don't know if I ever have in the ways that it ties in so deeply with my art. And yet that's a huge part of my story. So I just wanted to thank you for that. And as far as um, last thoughts, I, I do have a couple. <laughs> um, just from my journaling session this morning, um realizing that something that inner child work has done for me is given me the um, the calm and the ability to validate others' pain without feeling the need to bring up my own. And I, I struggle with a better way to say it than that. I hope that my words can convey what I mean because it's not that, um, like I think our own stories impact others so much, but I don't feel this desperate need to seek validation anymore from external sources. So it allows me to be this like grounding rock and I'm not perfect. It's not like this every day and every moment, but generally it's allowed me to be so much more grounded and so that I can support others that um, come into my space that feel like they need a safe space. And I can also you know, direct them to places where they may need to speak more or, or dig more into their past. But I hope that makes sense. It's just allowed me this freedom from feeling like I have a piece of me that's crying out for help and I have to, um, you know, seek validation from other people or other sources all the time, because that's something I used to do a lot of. So that's given me a lot of peace. Um, so I think that I hope that anyone that listens to this just understands that even if your story is um, sounds different from mine, which it will because we're all different, that inner child healing is so important um, because it's like you're self-validating 
and it just it's just amazing it helps with um understanding yourself and I also just wanted to say that um I feel I feel a deep realization that all I've ever desired to give and receive in this world is love and I think at the end of the day that's why we're all here I think that you know perfect love really pushes out fear and there's a lot of fear in this world and so it's important not to look away from things that are happening but to look at things in love and in truth and um so that's just what I wanted to leave you with today and thank you so much for giving me this opportunity well thank you for coming and being a guest on here and I think um, those are incredible words to end on. So thank you so much, Brittany, for coming on. And um, you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for this. And you too. Thanks for listening to my interview with Brittany Ann Dangerfield about her life and creative journey. Head over to searcherstudioart.com and check out the show notes to view her art, connect with Brittany on her social links, and listen to audio segments not included in the podcast. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe for upcoming episodes.